we dive into the text. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd be with us. I pray that you would be glorified and that your people would hear your voice. I pray that I would not be a hindrance, but that you would bless my words and that I would convey your message to your people. Work in all of our hearts. Work in my heart. I pray that we would see the wonder and the beauty of your gospel, that we would understand your word, and that we would respond in faith. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I too, have uh, wielded the shovel uh, in one job. Um, I was thinking about that regarding my introduction, because uh, in high school, still now, I don't think I'm very good at uh, self-promotion. Uh, and I remember one time when I was probably a sophomore or junior in high school looking for a job, and I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't have a car at the time. Uh, I didn't have any experience. And at the local McDonald's, there was a little stack of those sheets that you would tear off, and there are like a stack of 100 applications, and they're constantly getting them. And I remember going through the uh, application, and, you know, name, that's easy. Uh, where do I live? I know that. And I got to the question, and this sticks with me something like 25 years later, more than that, I don't know. Why do you think you are the best candidate to work at McDonald's? And the truth is, I was very certain that I wasn't. Uh, there are people with more experience than me. There are people with cars who can be more sure to get to work on time. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't really share their great vision of providing uh, inexpensive cheeseburgers to the world. Um, what I did want was money for Nintendo games and baseball cards. Uh, but it felt a bit awkward to try to figure out how I was the best candidate in the world to work at McDonald's, and I didn't get the job. I don't remember if I even filled out the whole application or just gave up. Paul didn't feel very good about self-promotion either. Uh, he understood deeply that Salvation comes by mercy and the grace of God. He was not an apostle because of how wonderful he was. And I imagine he remembered all too well his past life of self-promotion when he received the cloaks of uh, those who stoned Stephen in the early days of the church. And he even mentions in this uh, list of, of boasting as a fool that... Uh, his zeal for persecuting the church was, was very great. And so we get to this very odd text in some ways. And Paul is driven to do what he doesn't want to do, to talk about himself, to talk about his credentials as an apostle. And I want to reread just the text that I'll be focusing on, uh, verses 16 through uh, 21. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this both boastful confidence, I would say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. 
For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it uh, if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say we were too weak for that. So here we go. What do we do with this paragraph, this difficult one? Why is Paul doing this? Why is Paul talking about himself? And the answer is that he's not really doing that. He's talking about the gospel. And I want to unpack that and also unpack these these false teachers and where we can be uh, where we can be on guard. As Pastor Todd has been taking us through this, uh, he he mentioned that the Corinthians are in danger. They are in danger from being led away from the true gospel. And we don't know a whole lot about these so-called super apostles. Uh, Paul doesn't get at the doctrine that they're teaching. So we don't know if these were uh, very similar to the the Judaizers in, in the Galatian church that were saying, you need Jesus and you need the law. Or if perhaps these were some kind of of teachers that were teaching something like Gnosticism that became such a, an opponent of the church that basically said, we are spiritual beings, the body is a prison, and we need to uh, kind of participate in the spiritual to uh, be lifted up out of the body. And so uh, you end up with very strange teachings about who Jesus was uh, there wasn't really an incarnation. Jesus didn't really become human. Um, that's a possibility. Reality is that we don't know exactly. But we do know some things about these teachers. Uh, one is that they had come in and they were outshining Paul. Uh, but Paul makes clear, these are not just Christians who have a little bit of a problem with pride or Christians who are not giving Christ quite as much uh, credit, or pastors who are coming and they preach okay, but they make it about them a little too much. Those things do happen, and uh, all of us who preach the word fall short in some ways. uh, And Christ died for that too. But this is something different. Uh, Paul makes clear in verse 15 and in verse 21, these are not Christian people who are just a little bit off. These are servants of Satan, masquerading as servants of righteousness. These are dangerous, dangerous people who are in danger of pulling the Corinthians out of the true church into something very different that would result in their spiritual destruction. And so that brings us to Paul's concern for the gospel and his flock. Why not just turn the other cheek? Normally, isn't that what we're supposed to do when someone accuses us? Someone accuses Paul, you're not a very good apostle, Paul. Why not turn the other cheek? As Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians, uh, 
why not rather be wronged? Uh, for the sake of the gospel, why not just take it? Uh, or uh, why not just be united? Uh, and the reason is that this is not just about Paul. Paul is not concerned that these will be people who are having a wonderful relationship with Christ, but think little of Paul. Uh, that's not the issue. The issue is that Paul is the target of the criticism, but the criticism and the attack goes to the very core of the message that Paul was preaching. And therefore, these men, uh, possibly men and women, were attacking the very gospel of who Jesus was and what Jesus had done for us. Again, we know that Paul uh, didn't really care that much about himself because in um, 1 Corinthians, uh, he goes out of his way to say, look, it doesn't matter if you follow Paul, if you follow Cephas, if you follow Apollos, we all serve the same Jesus. And in, um, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 13, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized into the name of, the, of Paul? In other words, it's not about me, guys. It's about Jesus. Uh, and he was addressing there a kind of a sectarian nature of some people following one apostle, some following another. And he says, guys, it's, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. But here, he un Paul understands this is not just about Paul. This is not Paul's ego or Paul's reputation that's at stake. Uh, it's the gospel. It's the core of Christianity uh, in, in the church. Um, and that drives Paul to do what he, again, really doesn't want to. Uh, and you get that through the text and through the next few chapters that Paul is saying, look, I'm going to do what I have to, but that's not really what I want to do. And so he says uh, in our text, uh, we see in verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, accept me as a fool so that I may boast a little. And then verse 17, what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. What does he mean there? This doesn't mean that this isn't the word of God. But what he means is he, we would say, I'm, I'm not saying this in a godly way. I'm saying this in a very human way. And I'm doing it a little tongue-in-cheek so that you can see where this is going. It's a bit of a reductio ad absurdum, showing the ridiculousness of the consequences of what they're saying. And Paul wants to be sure that the Corinthians and the church later wouldn't think, look, this is the normal way for Christians to talk. Paul doesn't want us to go and read this and say, you know what, I'm going to memorize uh, verse 23 a, uh, And so I show up in front of my students and say, students, I've been meditating on, on the word of God. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. Uh, no. Paul is speaking as a fool. Uh, and when Paul boasts about what he's done, he's saying, look, guys, this isn't really what matters. What matters is Jesus but I understand that you are having difficulty, so I'm going to lay out 
why, uh, why you should listen to me. Uh, and those things, as Paul goes, uh, he kind of starts out with his credentials as a Jew, his credentials as an apostle, and then he talks about how weak and uh, how weak he is and how little uh, he's really able to take care of himself uh, and how much he needs God. But the message goes through. He is a true apostle. Now, by the time we get to verse 30, we can emulate Paul. Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. We're not supposed to boast about how good an upbringing we had or about where we went to school or about how much we know the Bible, but we can and we should boast in what Jesus has done for us in where he's taken us from and where he's taken us to. Uh, and in a big way, that's what Paul is doing, uh, and he'll continue to do in chapter 12. But here we are in our text, and Paul is desperately seeking to open the eyes of the Corinthians, and he speaks as a fool would, as somebody who has lost sense of who they are. That's sort of what the word here means. Not that he speaks as someone without intelligence, but he speaks as someone who has completely lost perspective and is just kind of out of it. Uh, Speaking like someone who's drunk on power or completely self-absorbed. And why does he do it? Uh, He makes that clear uh, in verses 19 and 20. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourself. They're wise is probably in parentheses. They didn't have that in ancient Greek, but if they would have, it would be in uh, in quotation marks, rather. Uh, For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. And so if the first thing we're looking at is Paul speaking as a fool and why he does it, the second is this welcoming of abusive fools. Uh, The Corinthians have welcomed these teachers. And they are welcoming in abusive leaders. Jesus said in John 10.10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it to the full. What Paul shows us is that these leaders who claim to be servants of righteousness, who claim to be servants of Christ, who claim to be apostles of Christ, who are really servants of Satan, are coming in and... The Corinthians have welcomed them. Why did they do that? And why are they continuing to put up with them? We have an odd odd tendency uh, at times to be blind or even welcoming to those who are abusive. And uh, when we look at the world around us, when we look at 
cults. Um, and this sort of fits, uh, these deceivers in Corinth sort of fit the profile of cult leaders. Um, they tend to be fairly blind. And then after a cult is exposed, it's like, oh my goodness, that, that's ridiculous. But very often, people go in, eyes wide open, and think this is a wonderful thing. And they're walking into something that is outwardly attractive, but inwardly destructive. And there are a few things that we see about these so-called super apostles of Corinth and about leaders of cults that, that really do uh, mesh. One is you have an outward attractiveness. These groups promise something more than biblical Christianity. Christianity is okay, but we've got something else. And very often it comes along in the idea that we've got some sort of secret truth that you don't have. And uh, so it was with that Gnostic group that I mentioned in the early church. Uh, the whole idea of it was that there was sort of secret knowledge and you could kind of work your way to the top. There were also things called mystery religions where, again, on the outside you didn't know what was going on. On the inside, we've got some more secrets. And if you move up, you'll get the next, the next bit of truth. And so it is with Mormonism. Uh, if you walk in, I, I haven't been, but I've talked with Mormons. And I've known some who have come out of the Mormon church. And you go in and it seems like a Christian church. They sing the same hymns. They read at least a lot of the same. They read the Bible. And they have this other book. But there are other books. If you stay in, you get more and more as you go. And so it goes on that uh, one of the enticing things about cults is that there is secret teaching, that there is something more than what the Bible gives. What else? They show initial interest. These super apostles were interested in the Corinthians. And these cults welcome people in and tell them, you are important and we need you. And we need you to help us do this. We need you to help us do that. And there is an initial showering of attention. Uh, and yet, there's a danger because that initial care is not genuine. They also offer a chance to be part of something great. Uh, and that goes hand in hand uh, with the last thing that really time and time again shows up. That they have a charismatic leader, uh, often a single charismatic leader, sometimes more than one, but someone with a plan, someone with energy, someone with magnetism. These leaders give a, a promise of hope and claim to be messengers of God or sometimes even claim to be God himself. As I was reading through uh, one of the, the cult groups that I found on the surface, sounds so nice and has such a wonderful name. And you might have heard of it. You might not have. Uh, it's called Happy Science. 
Doesn't that sound nice? And they, uh, I printed up some of their, their literature from their website. And what are their ex- uh, essential truths? The principle of love, of wisdom, of self-reflection, of progress, and of being in the bright mind. When we give love, we discover that our thirst for love and happiness is eased. Love is also to believe in other people. Doesn't that sound nice? They have a a leader, Master Okawa. This is from their very own literature. I'm not making this up. He was born in uh, Japan. He graduated from the University of Tokyo. He studied finance in the Graduate Study Center of Uh, City University of New York, and on March 23, 1981, Master Okawa started communicating with the spirit world and attained great enlightenment. He awakened to the fact that he is the rebirth rebirth of the Shakyamuni Buddha and the core consciousness of El Cantare, the supreme god of the earth. Now, if you know Spanish, that's a little bit funny. Um, the name of their supreme being is the singer, or I will sing. Uh, now, why do I share that with you? Here you have something that outwardly is really attractive, and there are 12 mi- million people who have been uh, brought into this. They have an office in Honolulu. Uh, and this is one of thousands of cults in the U.S., uh, And initially, they all sound so nice. And yet, how often have you heard of a cult being exposed? And just uh, in my life, uh, when I was younger, David Koresh, or, uh, or the Heaven's Gate group, both that ended with uh, with tragedy and with, with death, uh, with exposing of abuse and all kinds uh, of harmful activity. And so we see in verse 20 that the, this group of super apostles that on the outside sounds very good is uh, filled with exploitation, enslavement, and, and harm. Verse 20, uh, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. The Corinthians were sucked in and they had followed something or were starting to, or some of them were starting to follow someone other than Jesus or a different version of Jesus that wasn't really Jesus at all. And so we see with cults today, that they dehumanize, that after an initial welcome, they are drawn away from their family, they are made to work crazy hours, Uh, their choice is removed, they're brainwashed, they're often malnourished, and so on, and so on, and so on. And the reality is that what seemed so wonderful on the outside is so harmful. What this group, Happy Science, didn't tell you is that they're massively behind 
uh, Japanese expansionism through military means and a whole lot of other strange things. Uh, they don't put that on the front. And I don't mean to just uh, point at these guys just to laugh at them, but to show how dangerous it is. And uh, it is a real group. Uh, these are not fake. Well, what does that mean to us? One is be wary of any group or any pastor or any Christian who seeks, to, uh, who, who says that they have something more. Uh, now, I'm not saying you need to watch out for anyone who says, look, I've studied the Bible and I can help you understand the Bible. That's okay. Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be pastors, some to be teachers. Uh, those are gifts to the church. But we believe that the Bible is understandable in its core message to everyone. And we believe that we who teach are helping you to think through the scriptures. And the final uh, authority is the Bible, the word of God, not anything I have to say. And if I ever go against scripture, uh, Paul meant, or, sorry, Todd mentioned this a couple weeks ago, uh, if, if we're up here and we're not being biblical, uh, one, we're answerable to God, second, uh, to the other members of the session and the presbytery, but also to you. Uh, now, it's also worth saying, remain in fellowship. One of the great temptations of our age is to be a Christian but not go to church. And with a group that moves around a lot, uh, one of the, the subtle dangers can be, well, I didn't find a Presbyterian church. Or I didn't find one that fit just right. I didn't, didn't really feel terribly comfortable, and it's the only church for 50 miles, so I think I'll just stay home, and we'll just worship at home. And that makes us vulnerable in a lot of ways, but it also makes you more vulnerable if someone comes along and says, well, we have a group. And it's a wonderful place. And we've also got extra special teaching. And wait till you meet our leader. Um, now, again, that could be the picture of a biblical church, but it could also be the picture of something else. And so we are called search the scriptures and be on guard and uh, keep watch over anything our kids attend, uh, make sure that it is a Christian group and not something else. So where do we go from here? Uh, and why does Paul go through such, such lengths to, to call these false apostles out? And what do I, and what do I bring us to? Um, and I struggled with this, uh, reading the text, reading it again, uh, thinking, praying, and it came to me. The contrast is in verse 21. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. What do I mean by that? Paul didn't come as a flashy leader. Uh, yes, he came with works of power. He, he makes that clear. Uh, his message was corroborated by 
works of power of the Holy Spirit. But he didn't really come seeking to gain followers for himself. He didn't come showing off how educated he was. Uh, These super apostles were trained in rhetoric, and you were meant to hear them speak and walk away going, wow, they are amazing. They are amazing speakers. They know so much more than I do. Uh, There's no hope for me to be like them. I should follow them. Paul came, and what does he say? He was too weak. He came in meekness. Uh, He came in humility. But he also came in love and gentleness. And he came with a message of free grace in Christ. And he came speaking plainly. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did for you. This is how you should respond. Uh, He meant to be understandable. And yes, Peter at one point does say some of the things Paul says are difficult. But if you read Paul, you get very clearly, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a work of God so that no one can boast. Jesus died for you. Paul says he resolved to know nothing but Christ and him crucified in 1 Corinthians 2. Listen to this. I'll read, actually, a few more verses from 1 Corinthians 2. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters. When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in, in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Paul again did not come to the Corinthians, hoping that he would walk away and they would say, wow, what an amazing speaker he is. What an amazing man of God. Uh, How wonderful Paul is. He walked away hoping they would say, praise be to God. Praise be to Jesus, who has mercy on sinners. Paul was great. He helped us understand that, that it's about Jesus. And as Paul continues, we're going to hear more about where he was, who he was, what he gave up for Christ. And that really didn't matter. He gave it up gladly. Uh, If he has any claim to quote-unquote greatness, it's that he's suffered for Jesus. Uh, It's about Jesus, not about Paul. And Jesus comes to you in the same way. Uh, Paul is an authentic apostle. And when he preaches, when he writes, he writes as someone who knows the good shepherd, someone who humbled himself and came down to earth and 
who showed us love when he could have showed us judgment. John 3, 16 and 17 says, Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save the world. How easily Jesus could have come down and said, what a bunch of wretched, sinful, ungrateful, worthless sinners. I'm done. But he didn't. Instead, Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus didn't come his first time showing off how great he was. Yes, he did works of power. Yes, he spoke boldly. And I'm not saying he didn't claim to be God. He clearly did. And if you read through the book of John, you realize that uh, he's not particularly subtle. He is claiming to forgive sins. He is claiming to be with Abraham. For Abraham was, I am. Uh, He is claiming to be God. But he also washes feet. He's also hungry. He also goes to the cross willingly, stands silent before his accusers when all he had to do was frown at them and the host of heaven was ready. And Jesus came not in big flashiness, but in gentleness. And so came, so came Paul. Paul came to the Corinthian church, and he was a regular guy. Yes, he was an apostle, but he was talking about Jesus. He was making it about Jesus and boasting in Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 20. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to the but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. The intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of the world uh, so, sorry, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucif- crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The message Paul preached may have been less flashy. Paul may have been less uh, energizing as a speaker. 
that the gospel he preached was a true one. And the gospel we have before us sounds kind of weird sometimes, but it's true. God came down, was nailed to a cross as a human, died and was raised, and we look forward to his return. And this foolishness to the world is our great hope. And may it be your great hope this week and every day that Christ has died for you and Christ is coming back. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you acknowledging how much we need you, acknowledging how much we need your gospel. I pray that you would pierce our hearts. I pray that we too would be willing to be thought fools for the sake of your gospel and your kingdom. I pray that we would understand how much we are loved and how much the cross means to us, that we have freedom from sin, that we have forgiveness before you, that we have an end to guilt and shame. And I pray that you protect us from false teachers. And I pray that you would frustrate the efforts of those who seek to deceive and that you would call your elect into the churches and that you would save the lost. And we pray that we would minister well in your name as a church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.